but talking to the audience, then then reflecting their language back to them, asking really good questions to understand how they think, the alternatives they're considering. That's exactly where I recommend starting. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Margie Agin. Margie is founder and chief strategist for Centered Marketing, and they help B2B technology companies discover what makes them different and find the words to say it. And a sweet spot is in helping companies with complex buying processes or complex solutions get the messaging right. So let's dig into it. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, Margie. Hi, thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B marketing. Sure. So I work with marketing leaders at B2B tech companies who want to communicate more effectively with their customers. And typically these are companies that have more complex, hard to explain, sometimes niche products and services. And I work with them kind of at the intersection of product marketing, content marketing, and demand gen. Great stuff. So we're here to sort of talk about what marketers can do to have more impact in the roles and how they can reverse things when the sort of message isn't landing. But before we dive into that, what would you say are some of the sort of challenges and obstacles that people face when they have to drive demand then for those complex or niche products and services? (laughs) How much time do we have? There are many challenges, right? (laughs) You know, often... With B2B tech, there's a complex buying cycle and there's lots of decision makers, right? And lots of steps. And marketing teams are often removed from the customer. And sometimes the customer isn't even the actual user, so they may be even more removed from the user. So it can be very hard to understand and empathize with them when you don't get a chance to really get to know them. And I think another challenge is markets are really crowded with overlapping solutions. Some markets in particular, I work a lot in cybersecurity, for example, and there's so many types of different products and services and they all sound the same and look the same and overlap with each other. It's hard for buyers to discern what the differences are and vendors aren't making it any easier (laughs) because they start to glom on to the same messaging and the same sort of buzzwords. And there's this tendency to just insert so much jargon So I think one of the challenges is sort of being brave enough to break away from that, the sameness and not sound like everybody else. Find out what's really unique about you and then express it in a unique way. Perfect. And, you know, if you look at the MarTech landscape as an example, Scott Brinker's big diagram that sort of got bigger and bigger over the years just highlights how competitive it is across all the different sort of categories. You know, many categories are probably the same as that category, really. So moving on then, I'm sort of moving on to the how-to part of this podcast. What would you say is the first step that a marketer should be doing then? So we touched on that first problem of really being removed from the customer. Mm. And I think it's key for marketers not to kind of use that as an excuse, right? And find a way to get closer to that customer. Mm. And when you can do that, you can speak with a lot more confidence and authority because the recommendations that you'll have for, say, messaging or where you should place a campaign or how you should position are actually reflecting what a customer has told you or multiple customers have told you rather than just your opinion or your idea. So I think market research, 
finding ways to listen either through focus groups or interviews. And often in B2B, you don't need 500 interviews. You know, you might need mm. 10. But talking to the audience, then then reflecting their language back to them, asking really good questions to understand how they think, the alternatives they're considering. That's exactly where I recommend starting. And again, it doesn't need to be extensive surveys, but it needs to be enough so that you can kind of empathize and stand in their shoes. Hmm. And do you think sort of sitting on sales calls would be enough then? Or do you think there need to be more sort of survey based type interviews? I think as many different types of formats and tactics as you can. The thing about sitting on sales calls is a lot of times you are a fly on the wall right? You're sort of invited like the ride along <laughs> with the police, <laughs> right? Like the salesperson is leading it. That's their job. And you are listening. So you're seeing how it all plays out, right? But there's a bit of a different purpose when you're just sitting in on a sales call to see how that interaction goes or listening to a gong recording or one of those types of things. I think they're very valuable, but it's one tool in the toolbox. A marketer can also individually talk to a prospective customer, a happy customer, right, months mm. after their installation. An unhappy customer who's having problems, right, may never reach the ears of the salesperson, but you still want to know. And even a lost mm. customer, right, somebody that went away and transitioned to one of your competitors, you would like to know why. So... A marketer asks different questions than a salesperson mm. who's trying to close the deal, right? The marketer is really trying to understand the motivations, the alternatives that the customer that you're talking to had, the challenges that they've had in trying to implement your own product, right? These are things that the marketer, not just for a case study, but just for research, right? And your own knowledge, mm. you want to find out that this is different from the salesperson. Yeah. And how often would you recommend somebody doing this sort of in terms of frequency then? Well, I think it depends really on the size of the market that you're trying to reach, right? And what type of job that you have that you're also balancing with this. But, you know, the point is, it's not a one and done, right? Because mm. if you make it just a part of your process that say every month you're talking to at least one or two customers, right? You're constantly feeding your knowledge base, so one of the things that my organization does is we do buyer persona sprints, right? So we'll talk to 10 or maybe 20 customers in a couple of weeks and do a real deep dive. And that's sort of a jumpstart to try to build buyer personas, meaningful buyer personas, right? And then that helps to sort of guide the internal marketing team to then continue that on a regular basis if they want to. Perfect. Perfect. So we understand the sort of customer better now. You're talking yeah. about the language they use, yeah. the challenges they're facing, you know, kind of what the obstacles are, maybe the sort of competitor landscape, what are the solutions they're sort of considering. What should we do with this sort of information then? So some of the information that you would get from, say, this buyer persona sprint exercise, right, is really to understand the alternatives that potential buyers consider, right, and sort of where they consider you in their landscape. That perspective may be different from how you saw yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that helps you with just the general positioning, the messaging, and also think of different types of questions that they have in their mind. So if you know that your buyer is wondering things like, I got to migrate away from my old tool and that's going to be really hard, 
right? Mm -hmm. Then you know that that is a concern you need to address. Maybe upfront with content pieces or how-to guides that sit on your website, right? Or maybe mm -hmm. it's a part of the process that you need to make more clear through the sales process. So listening to the questions that they have may help you determine the type of content that you're going to create. Mm. They may also tell you, for example, who they read, you know, where they hang out, <laughs> what mm. Slack groups or events or influencers they're interacting with. And that may help you decide where you're going to start placing your content, you know, or mm. doing some advertising or engaging some influencers. So it may bubble up some things that you didn't know, but that are very mm. important to your customers. Great stuff. So it's sort of helping with the positioning, the value proposition position stuff and then also then starting to trickle into the go-to-market what am I going to do and how am I going to reach these people based on kind of where they are yeah exactly okay great and then what sort of metrics would you suggest someone sort of tracks to know if this new messaging or the new position is working then yeah you're hitting on an important point which is how do we know if what we're doing is working <laughs> right and some of it is internal and some of it is external. So the reason why there's so many different parts to this puzzle, you've got product marketing, you've got content marketing, right? And then you have demand gen, and then you have sales as well. Mm. So you've mm. got a lot of different parties in the organization that are potentially making up their own messaging, <laughs> right? Or guessing at the messaging or trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel, each of them by potentially creating their own presentations or their own talk tracks and sometimes their own campaigns. <laughs> so part of the benefits and the metric for these types of exercises is to create alignment and internal efficiency and productivity. Right. Mm. So, for example, if you can tell that because the sales team is better equipped and enabled to tell a story and it's a great story, they're able to bring in deals faster. Right. Mm. Or they are able to be onboarded and more productive right away. Right. Because they understand the messaging. They feel confident using it. Mm. And on the marketing side, the handoff between, say, the product marketing team creating messaging and the content creating content is much smoother and faster, mm. right? Because mm. people understand the message and they're speaking the same language. So there definitely are some internal productivity gains and metrics that you can measure. And the benefit of that is really getting the message and the content and the campaigns out to the market faster. Mm. And then, you know, of course, the customer engagement, the other half of that is external metrics. So, you know, is your content that you're creating actually getting the engagement or the conversions, right? Whether that's the click-throughs or the percentage of the blogs that are read or, you know, forms that are filled, however you're managing or measuring success of your content, if you can tell that that content is actually working, whether or not your customers are engaging with it and they keep coming back for more. Hmm. And would you test this sort of new positioning, the new messaging first then in sort of separate silos before sort of, you know, going the whole hog yeah. really? Would you run it to a few customers or prospects and see how it sort of lands first? Yeah, testing internally and externally. Hmm. Right. So often there's some trusted advisory council kind of customers or maybe even as part of those customer interviews that you're doing, you're starting to actually send a trial balloon of some of the messaging yep. and see how that works. Right. Yeah. And then internally, this isn't something that's done in a silo. Right. This isn't just marketing's job to come up with the messaging. This is also mm. why working with the sales leadership team, anyone who has a lot of interaction with customers and can kind of feed into that story 
Sometimes the on the ground customer service, customer support people, technical support people have a lot of golden mm -hmm. nuggets and they aren't always engaged and, you know, people don't always talk to them, but they've got a lot of experience listening to what customers, what their motivations are, what their concerns are when they're in a really emotional state. Mm. So, you know, bringing those people into the process of developing, say, a buyer persona or messaging and positioning, a sales deck, for example, ultimately anyone who's going to be responsible for delivering that message ideally would be involved earlier on in the process. They don't have to mm. be, you know, in the guts of every meeting, but just to be involved so that ultimately when they go to deliver it, that they know where it comes from, they have some buy-in, they see their own thoughts reflected in some way. That's an important part of the process of making sure that everyone in the organization is aligned. Yeah, you sort of hear the stories of some sort of early stage founders quickly on their own, changing the direction of the company and the message and the position. Right, we're going after this market now and yeah. people can get frustrated with that, can't they? So it kind of makes sense what you're saying. Bring them in nice and early and say, look, this is what we're going to be doing. We need to be looking at this and then they can have some input and they're more likely to implement it themselves as well. Yeah, you know, the founders, when they're still involved, are often doing that because they are hearing things from mm. customers. And they are the ones having those conversations with customers. But as the organization grows, you have a lot more people having those interactions. Mm. And although it's a positive thing, it also makes it more challenging because now you have to triangulate what a lot of different people are hearing and bring them into the process so that it's not just in one person's head. You're showing some good empathy there for founders. Yeah. <laughs> so shifting tax slightly then, I mean, if you were hiring a marketer to sort of help create messaging and position, it could be somebody who's perhaps in a more specialist product marketing role, I guess, because that would sort of typically sit under that kind of role or somebody who's a generalist who, you know, has the responsibility of doing this kind of stuff. What sort of skills and attributes would you look for then? Yeah. So I do think that at the core, a lot of it is product marketing. You know, I was saying there's sort of the blend mm. of product and demand gen and content. There are different skill sets and they're all very important to work together because if you have sort of one without the other, you know, that sort of three-legged stool kind of falls mm. over, you know, so you don't want someone that is sort of so in the weeds, right, in the features and functions of the product mm. that they can't sort of see the context and communicate the context. But at the mm. same time, we don't want someone so top of funnel, you know, very broad thinking that they can't kind of really understand the product and how it works and what it's actually able to deliver. So mm. blending those two things is important because otherwise you have a story that is either too high or too low. But I think in terms of just the personality and the characteristics of someone, ultimately it's about curiosity right? And empathy. You're the advocate as a marketer, whether your product or content, you're the advocate for your customer, mm. right? You are the sort of their representative <laughs> when you're writing content for the web or you're creating a campaign or you're positioning, you're, you've got to be thinking like in terms of how is this going to benefit the customer. So mm. that empathy and really being open-minded and willing to ask those questions, listen, adjust, you know, to what the customer has told you and not just what you assume and what you think the idea is. That's mm. probably the most important characteristic, whether you're in an early stage startup and you're constantly learning or as the company has been around for a long time, it's easier to get sort of stuck in the idea of what we say. This is how we've always said it. And meanwhile, the market is changing 
around you. Mm. So being open to hearing, you know, what customers are saying and the new experiences that they're having is a great way to sort of get out of that silo Mm. and just keep current so that your company can continue to compete. I think it's a good point because most people have preconceived ideas, don't they? they yeah. Like you said, you go into a company, it's, we've always done this, we've always targeted that persona, this has always been how we've positioned yeah. the product. So it's quite hard to sort of shift that sometimes. So being able to run things as a sort of blank sheet of paper almost and start right. from scratch with no sort of preconceived ideas. Yeah, and it happens fairly quickly, quicker than you would think because, you, mm. you know, once you are inside the company. I've been both an in-house marketer and an external consultant. And I've been a consultant that has worked with companies also for years, right? Mm. And honestly, it's in those first sort of few months, whether you're a new employee or a consultant, that you are truly looking at things with fresh eyes and you're asking questions and you're trying to understand information. And suddenly, you know, you realize that it's a few months in, you've got these assumptions, right? (laughs) The words that used to be brand new to you and you didn't understand are now just part of the jargon that you hear every day. So you become an insider very quickly. And that's, Mm. you know, it's a double-edged sword because there's nothing like that. When you read something for the first time fresh and you say, what does this mean? You're standing in the shoes of a customer that is also seeing it for the first time and doesn't understand Mm. what it means, right? (laughs) (laughs) So you don't know the internal baseball that created that sentence or that content. So keeping that fresh mindset is, is a challenge. And that's why talking to customers Customers is so important or working with some yeah. external people that can have that fresh view just kind of keeps things fresh perfect well it's been fantastic talking to you margie you know i think a lot of people out there it's sometimes too easy to sort of just keep pushing on keep doing the campaigns keep doing the tweak an ad here do another webinar when things aren't quite sort of landing so you know it's having the ability as you said to sort of take a step back Mm -hmm. go back to the sort of fundamentals and then go from there. And it's been really awesome talking to you about that. If people are interested in talking to you about it in more detail, then what is the best way of them getting in touch with you? Yeah, so my website is centerboard-marketing.com. That's probably the best way. Or check me out on LinkedIn. Let me know if you listen to this. And I would love to connect with people that are like-minded and working on the same kind of challenges. Awesome. You've been a superstar. Thanks, Marjorie. Thanks. That's great. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.